Hello and welcome to the second and last episode in a mini-series showcasing the UK Vet Show's impact on education and the edtech ecosystem. I'm Rose Luckin, a professor at UCL's Institute of Education and founder of Educate Ventures Research. So the UK Vet Show, brought to you by Hive, attracts 30,000 people to London's Docklands every year and acts as a global community hub for educational technology. 600 innovative edtech and resource solution products are represented from over 120 countries. And entrepreneurs, educationalists and e-learning providers connect in over 5,000 meetings on site. The show has been running for 38 years. I don't think I've been to all of them, but I have been to most of them. And in that time, it's grown from what used to be purely an exhibition of technology to an event that's full of talks and lectures, product reveals, international trade, peer-to-peer networking and esports. And this year is billed to be the best bet ever with the show's new strategy for digital transformation, We expect the 29th to the 31st of March to be an EdTech extravaganza. So head on over to ukbetshow.com to make sure you get yourself and your colleagues registered so you can enjoy the fun. Now, today I'm really excited because in the Zoom studio with me, I have a number of lovely guests who are going to talk to us about the experience of going to bet, what to look for, what to search for, how to engage with exhibitors, speakers and the crowds searching for your answers in the EdTech ecosystem. We want to help you get the best you can from BET. So keep listening to hear how you do that. I have Michael Forshaw, who's CEO and co-founder of EdTech Impact. I have Associate Professor Mutlu Kukurova from the UCL Knowledge Lab. And I have Dina Foster, who's a PhD student at UCL and Associate Researcher for Educate Ventures Research. And I'm going to start with Dina, and I want to ask you, why should people come to BET? I suppose I could tell you about myself by describing the hats I've worn whilst visiting BET in the past, which started many moons ago as a teacher, uh, very keen to see you know, what ed tech looked like for my subject, which then was uh, French and Spanish teaching in secondary schools. I've been there as a pastoral leader and ultimately as a deputy head of a large comprehensive secondary school in London. Now I'm there in my capacity as a, an academic and a mentor to tech startups. But um, but I think really for me, it's very difficult to divorce my the teacher in me from uh, my feelings around bets and certainly the excitement it brought me when I first, when I first visited. I think that changed as uh, my level of responsibility grew and people took more notice of my badge as I became more of a budget holder and not just an, an enthusiast. Um, but really, I think what people look for at BET, it, again, depending on who you are, I think you're there to play or to problem solve, really. If I had to put people in two buckets from schools, I think there's a real opportunity at BET to be creative, to indulge yourself in looking at what the different solutions are, what's exciting out there, to think about how you might apply it to your practice. But I think also at the same time, there are plenty of people who go with something very fixed in their mind a priority that they have as a school or as a department that they're looking for a solution or a way forward. And so it's a combination of the two. There's a strategic question in mind, but also I think it's so, it's such a vibrant atmosphere, even if you are looking, 
you know, resolutely for a solution of something, you get distracted by something. You end up having a go on one of the stalls or discovering a new piece of software that does something exciting. And I'm just, I'm reminded of in my research, one of my um, interviewees told me that one of the best things that came out of COVID was the enforced messing about that lots of teachers did well, the ones that that we're, we're interested to did to play with the te- technology and see how they could exploit it and see how they could use it. And I think BET provides quite a good foundation for that as well. I love the idea of playing, Dina. I think that's really important. And I know that many people who go to BET do start with a strategy, but I always think it's a little bit like the architectural term lines of desire. There are paths that you can follow at BET and you may yourself enter BET with a particular path. But then as you move through and things distract you, your desire takes you on a slightly different path. And so it's about picking up on the signals to help you get that best path, that most desirable path where you do get that vibrant atmosphere and you do get to try things out and explore and and follow your curiosity. I think that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. Michael, it's perhaps slightly different for you. I don't know as a founder and CEO of EdTech Impact. Um you must have exhibited at Bet for several years. Why do you think people should come along to Bet? Yes, I think I've been maybe 15 or so times. I've worn several hats like Dina you know, I was the guy in the school bringing back new ideas. I was let let loose at BET. To be honest, I was pretty young in my career and I just went wherever the noise was. Uh, I didn't have a plan. It, it can often be, you know, who's got the, the loudest, shiniest, noisiest product that grabs the attention and, and the loudest, noisiest people as well. And, and, and I suppose an introvert like me struggles in that environment a little bit. So uh, I now plan ahead, but from looking through the lens of an ed tech vendor, the obvious one is is lead generation, yes. But I think the the other part is is around retention. It's a fantastic opportunity to meet your customers and gather feedback on key things that are are you know in how they use the product. You know, ed tech impact was set up to do just that to help ed tech companies to gather feedback, build the feedback loop in as many possible ways as possible, using every interaction with a customer as a feedback-seeking opportunity. And I think that is no different, other than it's uh, it's moving away from online. You've got that great face-to-face opportunity as well to build that relationship side of it. So I think that often gets missed in amongst the, the, the need for leads. And then I suppose on the teacher side, it is about community. Yes, there's some great talks there. And, and it's an opportunity to, to get some CPD in, lift your head out the weeds, maybe look a little bit at the macro as well and, and, and what's going on in other contexts in, in your region, across the country, across the world. That's really great for that. But I think the, the key word is always community that I hear. And I think it's, it's community that allows serendipity to happen. And I think you come away with your bet stories each year and they're always slightly different. I think the organisers do a good job of allowing that to happen, not to make it too prescriptive. I love the idea of serendipity. And you're right. Everybody does have their bet story. And it can be, as you reflect, loud and shiny and noisy. But there is that community aspect. And one of the things I know I love myself is bumping into people. 
you know, bumping into people that I haven't seen for a long time and, and hearing what they're up to. And I can understand that from your perspective, seeing your customers must be really important, and really nice and getting that face to face feedback that you wouldn't really get otherwise. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, Mutlu, with our researcher hat on, because, of course, researchers go to bed too, academics go to bed. Why do you think people should go to bed? Excellent points have been made uh, from Mike with regards to, to, to community dimension. And I really agree with uh, what Dina said in terms of BET offering a unique opportunity to experience the latest educational technologies firsthand and, and try things out. And it's a, it's a playground in many senses for different uh, stakeholders. And I've been to BET uh, again uh, wearing different hats as well. Um, as a as an academic at UCL, uh, as a UCL knowledge lab, we used to have a booth to present uh, some of the prototypes of our research at BET. I was engaged with events as part of Educate. I uh, was invited as a speaker. To me, one of the real advantages uh, of BET is the amount of diversity in stakeholders who come to bed with whom you can interact and engage. As academics, we are part of strong communities and we do go to our own conferences. We have our own journals, we publish, we have our own media channels, colleagues, but we tend to focus on particular technologies or certain aspects of a, of a technology. For my case, my particular area of expertise is in artificial intelligence education and learning analytics. That is important, but it's only one part of a very large ecosystem. Uh, whereas in BAT, um, you can experience uh, very diverse uh, types of technologies and industrial partners uh, who have been developing these technologies to have a deeper uh, understanding of these technologies, engage with the developers, engage with discussions with regards to how these technologies can support teaching and learning. Um, another important dimension related to this diversity is the diversity of the stakeholders, as I was trying to say. In most of the communities that we engage as uh, academic uh, members, we tend to interact with other researchers who have similar interests. Um, we have very strong conferences, extremely influential outputs coming out of these conferences, but it would be really rare to see a genuine teacher uh, or a school leader or um, learners to engage with these academic communities. So to me, that is a fantastic opportunity to bring in this diversity, both in terms of the technologies, but also in terms of the stakeholders uh, to be part of this uh, big picture community. I can really appreciate that, Mutlu. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We go to academic conferences and we talk to like-minded people, but this is an opportunity to really get that bigger picture. You're right. To me, it's a broad, diverse group from across the edtech ecosystem. And that's, I think, really important. And it is a great opportunity. So I too would encourage researchers to get out there, go and see what's there, meet lots of different people. And also be curious and have a play. Thank you to today's sponsor, The Bet Show. 
which is the global meeting place for the education community, taking place from 29th to 31st of March this year at Excel London. This year, the deadline to register for a free ticket for BET has been extended to the 17th of March, so head on over to uk.betshow.com to claim your free ticket before that deadline. Once again, head on over to uk.betshow.com to claim your free ticket before the 17th of March. So we've given you some ideas about why you should go to bet, but let's get down to the nitty gritty. I've always cared deeply about evidence. I think in order for us all to make good decisions about what kind of ed tech we should be using and how we should be using it, we need evidence to help us make those decisions. So evidence is obviously key the approach that we adopt at Educate Ventures Research, but it's also important to each of our guests. And so I want to explore evidence with you. Now, there's a bit of a tension, isn't there, in the edtech sector between the needs to serve the teaching and learning community, the challenges of the time it takes to develop whatever your product or service is. There's a runway for startups and It's quite understandable that people can end up focused on the bottom line because if they're not making some money, they can't pay the staff, they can't develop the product or service. So where does evidence fit within that process of activity? How can organisations, small organisations in particular, really build evidence into what they do? Michael, I'm going to start with you here. Because EdTech Impact, that is your reason for existence, isn't it? You want to help bring together suppliers and buyers around the notion of impact. Tell me what you think about the ways in which evidence can be provided by companies and how should teachers, learners, parents, students be looking at evidence to help them make good decisions? I think, first of all, what we've set out to do with EdTech Impact is to bring everything together under one roof to try and solve the discovery problem of, of first of all, you know, who, who exists so that schools can start to make like-for-like comparisons, whether that's in, just in what they do or whether it is evidence. And then the next question is, you know, who, who do I trust? You know, which is the right solution for us? And I think evidence is an important part of that. Before we set up EdTech Impact, we we did a survey of uh, around how schools procure, and one of the findings was that only eight percent of schools said that they trusted the EdTech vendors, the EdTech companies making their and the claims they make on their websites, and that was quite an eye opener for us. But I suppose no surprise because in England we've not really had any top down directive at all around talking about schools and. Uh, ed tech suppliers on what good looks like and what you need to do. So I don't think outcomes is always, or evidence is always part of the procurement considerations from, from schools. So what we wanted to do with Edtech Impact was to increase the transparency of, of what's out there and, and where are they in, in terms of impact. To do that is, you know, you're trying to get every single company to, to suddenly change the way in which they operate and start putting evidence first above sales and marketing and lead generation. It's a huge culture change. So we needed to start small. We we, de- we took the approach of 
we we actually started doing rapid cycle evaluations where we wanted to help schools do more in in school more robust in school evaluations pre and post assessments around uh, a research question but then we got that wrong and we were trying we were too early with that even basically there's no capacity in the schools to do that at the time uh, and so how can we try and get masses of data and insights to start to move the needle on on what's going on in different schools in different contexts because that's important so we we went down the approach of the feedback loop so we we now work with companies when they join Etic Impact we help them set up this this feedback loop but it the important point is it's public facing so you've got companies collecting agile bits of of insights and data every single day from their customers how can we use that and make that publicly available so that schools can start to get a picture of what's going on in different types of contexts by different types of users and that's really what we've set out to do with Etic Impact i guess fast forward 4 5 years we've got over 2000 products over 10000 individual it's a feedback from different schools and we're starting to to understand what what's going on we've actually built a schools like mine tool now because of the data that we've got where we, schools can start to see what other schools like them with the same characteristics are doing you know it, it's funny because the reason we've got so many edtech companies to to change their culture is because we make it and some people may not like this about acquisition and retention like that's the one thing they care about um and and the thing they're prioritizing um and and their their budget towards so we make it around that and if you want those things then you've got to do this thing which is collecting feedback publicly through the feedback loop and you've got to do it consistently and we'll reward you when you do that with more visibility and more leads and now we're seeing them bake it in operationally into their whole company and then brought involving the product team the customer success team it's not just the sales team and now they're looking at other forms of evidence correlational causal that they're looking at how they can go further So that's what we've been working on really um over the last few years. I like that idea of baking it in so that companies see provision of evidence as something they have to do it's integral to who they are. And I think you said some key words there Michael around trust, transparency and also contextualization because what works in one place in one way won't necessarily work in a different place or in the same way. So it's really interesting to hear what you're saying about the way that you're moving to try and get more contextualized information for teachers with this idea of schools like mine i find that fascinating now mutlu your your work revolves around evidence as as an academic it's about collecting data analyzing that data looking for evidence that will help you understand what's happening and what we mean by does something work or not in what way do you think bet can help people to gain a greater understanding about evidence where would you suggest that people look when they go to bet to find something out about evidence who should they talk to how should they ask questions what should they do what can they expect first of all i think it is extremely important to ask these questions about the evidence behind any educational technology and or solution being offered at bet or anywhere else really when stakeholders are facing so what what evidence do you have to show that your technology is effective in improving student learning outcomes is probably the first question that uh, i would expect uh, any stakeholder 
to ask when they start interacting with these educational technology providers. And when people go to talks, uh, there are workshops, interesting sessions at VET where these kind of discussions could be taken forward. Very few people would kind of disagree with the value of, of evidence being an important consideration in the use of educational technologies. But I would like to perhaps elaborate a couple of dimensions that might help structure some of these discussions people uh, might have when they visit VET. I think the first one is related to uh, what Mike was hinting towards in terms of the context from which these evidence uh, uh, is generated. Because evidence is a very tricky concept in many senses. When we start talking about evidence of effectiveness of a particular educational technology, if possible, it is extremely important to start raising questions about from what kind of studies, from what kind of methodologies, in what kind of school settings, with what demographics of participants, using what kind of specific measures, looking at what kind of specific learning outcomes this evidence uh, was, was generated. I think oftentimes when we start talking about or thinking around the concept of evidence, we tend to find ourselves as a kind of binary concept of whether it exists or not, which is not really reflecting the reality of evidence. It's a, it's a much more gray concept than this. Another perhaps point of discussion when visitors go to bed and start talking to, to uh, technology providers and others that they meet at bed is to think about evidence as a one-off event that people work on a study, generate some piece of evidence, show that it works in this particular case, and then use this as a almost like a shield against any future development and change of this particular technology. Whereas in, in real world, these technologies evolve, the contexts in which they are used evolve. So we should start thinking about generation of scientifically robust evidence of impact as a mindset that we continuously think about uh, from what methodologies, from what approaches, from what setups we could generate relevant evidence and continuously use this as our mindset to further improve uh, our uh, interventions, our pedagogical approaches and technologies. So using evidence as an opportunity to inform the change within context, the change within technology, I think is kind of a, a mindset that all stakeholders who engage with BET can start uh, thinking around and, and maybe uh, uh, use these kind of questions as part of their discussions when they engage with the education technology providers. That makes a lot of sense. You're right, Matlou. I think people do need to be curious. I also think they need to be demanding and confident when they ask questions. You're right. We should ask anybody who's trying to tell us that their product or service is going to be of value to us. We should be saying, well, what's your evidence? Where did you collect that evidence? How did you collect that evidence? Why should I believe your evidence? As Michael was saying, it's about trust. It's about transparency. And I think 
one of the areas that I've been heartened by is that I think we are having more sophisticated conversations about evidence. I think we are moving away from the binary view that something works or it doesn't work to move to a greater understanding that actually a perfectly fine product may work really well with one group of students in one location, but actually not work with another. And it doesn't make it a bad product. It may just be that it's not suitable for that particular group of students. Likewise, it could be that a product actually needs to be used in a particular sort of a way in order to get the best from that product for students. So it's a much more complex concept than it works or it doesn't work. And I do feel that everybody within the EdTech ecosystem is starting to appreciate to a much greater extent the richness of the conversation that we need to have about evidence. Now, Dina, I'd love to come to you now and ask you, you've worn many hats, as you've said, when you've been to BET. But what's your perspective, particularly now you're a researcher studying for your PhD and a mentor, and of course, you've been a teacher. Where do you see the conversation about evidence being something that BET can help us with? The first thing I would say is that it's, I think there's been a shift perhaps in schools with colleagues recently, you know, where schools are literally struggling to keep the lights on at times, you know, value for money is is non-negotiable. <clears throat> it would be lovely to be sent off with a with a lovely budget and say, go ahead, let's do something really in- innovative and wonderful, but actually needs must now. So I know that there's a real, there's a real balance to be struck between schools, I think, being demanding and critical, but also they need to manage their expectations. You know, there's a danger of oversimplifying this and saying, look, come on, does this work? or not? Should I buy it or should I not? And actually, I think that BET allows you, I think there's an opportunity to challenge that moon on a stick mentality, really, where instead using things like EdTech Impact and asking questions of tech companies directly at somewhere like BET, yes, you can say, okay, does this work? Who does it work for? In what context? Might this work for us? We've identified we have similar characteristics to a school which has had success with this. That's great. The next step then is to see, we might share those characteristics. Do we share the same priorities? Are we trying to achieve similar things? And again, it comes down to that, the contextualized um, decision-making, I think is really powerful. I think actually there's an opportunity for schools. If people are having more conversations about evidence at BET, you'll be seeing a a wider range of examples of what could constitute evidence. And whilst this might be a controversial thing to say for some academics in the field, but I think I like to try and balance my academic work with just this real practical sense of, you know, that that may be well and good and randomised control trials are fantastic for people who hold those as a gold standard. But if you're a maths teacher with a bottom set year eight group, you need to know with a certain degree of confidence, if if a tool and intervention is going to help you and those learners that you're working with. So I think there's real opportunity to expose educators and school leaders to a range of evidence that's out there. And actually, there's nothing to stop a school saying, OK, well, we're in charge here. What evidence is good enough for us? What do I need to see? What do I need to be convinced of in order to say, okay, I'm going to take this back to our senior leadership team, or I'm going to take this in front of our governors, and we're going to we're going to invest in it. 
because schools, I mean, you know, by by nature, they're very um, they're very self centered places. Really, as as lovely as it is that the technology has worked for someone else, you know, you can shrug your shoulders and say, so what? If it doesn't work for me, for my teachers, my learners, then then it's not something I'm going to part with my money for. So, um, but I think I think that is an opportunity to really open your eyes about that and actually explore the breadth. And, and the different shapes evidence could have. And similarly, a company may be saying, yes, it works. It works. Look, we did this. We did this. We did. Here's our evidence. And you're entitled to say, that's not good enough for us. We need something more robust. Or how interesting. Tell me more. I'd love to lift the lid on that and really understand what happened with your rapid cycle evaluation or your RCT or your case study, whatever it might be. But I think it's it's an opportunity to broaden out uh, that discussion around evidence. I, I love the thought of a bit of controversy on the pod, Dina, so that is perfectly fine with me. Uh, interestingly, both you and Mutlu have used the word robust, which I think is interesting. And we could question what does robust mean? Now, we know that randomised control trials are held up to be the gold standard in many areas of the world. For example, when it comes to medicine, we hear a lot about randomized control trials. And I think over the years, there has been a tendency for education to look towards medicine as a role model, if you like, when it comes to evidence. And yet education and medicine are very different, aren't they, in so many ways. And so it's perfectly reasonable that we should expect a toolbox of different sorts of tools and techniques that are used to help us get the right kind of evidence for us. And whilst, yes, a randomised control trial might give you perfectly fine information for one situation with one sort of tool, but actually it's not the whole story. And you're right. I think a huge event like BET can help people see different ways in which we can see what robust looks like. Because you're right, schools are really short of money. Value for money is fundamentally important. It is non-negotiable, as you put it, Dina. And therefore, they should be demanding that whatever the evidence that somebody who's trying to sell them something is presenting is something that's relevant to them. I think that's the key message, isn't it? Let's empower the educators to feel that actually they are in charge and they should be demanding that they get a range of evidence that persuades them, that communicates to them, that speaks to them. I think that is absolutely spot on. And I like the use of the word robust. I think that's really important. So it's great to hear those answers. And I hope, well, I'm sure they will be extremely useful to our pod listeners. Now, it's been really interesting how each of the guests on today's pod have said that they've been to bet wearing different hats over the years. And I think one of the key things that we know about bet is that it does bring together, as Mutlu highlighted, a diverse set of people from across the whole range of stakeholders who are part of the edtech ecosystem. I think it was Michael who said that there will be bet stories. Everybody will have their bet story. And so my final question to each of you is, How can our listeners come away with a really meaningful story for them from BET? How can they make the most of BET? If you had to sum that up in the classic 
elevator pitch that we hear about when we're talking about startups pitching. What would you say would be your one thing to somebody who's going to bet for the first time, your key piece of advice to make sure that the story they bring away from bet is one that's meaningful for them? And I'm going to start with Mutley first this time. Perhaps one thing that I would have told myself if I was going to bet for the first time after all these years, um, to keep an open mind and try to see as many different offers as possible rather than going to the same names, same piece of technologies or same providers or the same loud speakers of a particular topic. Diversity, I think, is the real strength of BAT. And I think one really struggles to appreciate this. At least I did when I first engaged with BAT. I was almost spending my time within my own silo of the the, the style and and approach and and like-minded people, whereas it's an excellent opportunity to experience this diversity. And the other really important thing from my end to consider is we are very easily, I am very easily awed and impressed by interesting, uh, new, shiny solutions. So going to bed with certain problems that you are having or you think are important to be solved in educational systems and thinking about what problem does this particular piece of technology that I am watching, I am offered to solve in education, how does it actually improve the current state in my context, in my school, in my research, in my uh, field of expertise. And then thinking about these solutions with a clear problem in mind, I think it's a really interesting thing. People can get a lot and also filter out many uh, offers that might not really uh, uh, solve a particular problem. That's so true. I love the way you reframe my question, Mutlu, as to what would I tell my younger self visiting Bet for the first time. And I like the idea of going with a problem and seeing who's going to help you tackle that problem. And you're so right. It's very easy to get attracted to the shiny stuff, but you can probably find out about that very easily anyway. Whereas there will be people at Bet who you may not ever have heard of before. And it is an opportunity to see some of the smaller suppliers, isn't it? And and find out the variety, as you've said, diversity that's out there. Dina, what would you tell your younger self visiting Bet for the first time that they should do? You know what? I actually think, this sounds very arrogant, but I wouldn't give myself the advice because I sort of think if you're the customer, you have that prerogative of, you know, around you go and take the path you like. I actually have some words of advice for the, the exhibitors and the people on the stands, the entrepreneurs. And I think I would encourage them. I I feel this particularly this year, actually. I'd encourage them to look beyond the badge of the people there from schools and so on. There's So I signed up twice this year. I've signed up once as me and once with my governor hat on. So I'm a governor of a a primary school. And the the level of questioning, and I understand it, data is rich and valuable and it tells us all sorts of things. And I'm sure, you know, better really trying to curate the best possible experience for people and and maximise efficiency. Uh, There are a lot of questions about, do you hold a budget? How much is your budget? And so on. And I, I get a distinct impression, my badge 
communicates to whoever I'm talking to at a stand exactly whether I hold the purse strings or I don't. And I would actually say to the people at the stands, think beyond that, because in schools, Sometimes, yes, you've got top-down leadership and top-down investment, and that's how it happens. Sometimes it happens bottom-up. And actually, I'm a, I'm a real believer in the, the best implementation of digital strategy is one through distributed leadership. So, yes, you need the vision set by your, your leaders who are developing your ed tech vision and really ambitious for the school problem-solving, addressing your priorities through your strategy. And I think you need buy-in it's schools they're not sort of no one's a little island it's I think it's quite rare that someone is going to go right we're going to invest in this sweeping across the ball I think actually pay attention to all the individuals you engage with because actually back in the ecosystem of the school that all feeds into that decision making process so um yes look look beyond the badge would be what I would say I like that you've given advice to exhibitors. I think that's brilliant. And I think look beyond the badge is going to be the mantra from this podcast, because you are so right. Exhibitors do need to look beyond the badge because schools operate in lots of different ways, don't they? And you can't really tell from the badge exactly what it is the person who's standing in front of you might be interested to hear about. I like that enormously. Michael, let's come to you. What would you tell your younger self or somebody else? What's your top tip for our bet attendee, our first time newbie bet attendee? Well, I'm definitely stealing Dina's phrase. I did actually, no one can see, I did the clapping emoji on Zoom just now, but then I couldn't get rid of it. And it went from into like a sarcastic clap. I was trying, I was like panicking. I guess my my one would be fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Because don't do not do what I did many years ago, and I see it happen, just go in there without a plan. And of course, we want serendipity to happen, as I said earlier. That's important. But I think every school is, is, is so different. And I think you know, you know, or you should know what your needs are and what you're looking for and how that aligns to your school improvement plan or your digital strategy. And, and I think... With that in mind, it's about asking the right questions to the uh, to the suppliers, the exhibitors. Try to cut through the jargon. We've actually, I should mention, we've produced uh, an EdTech Buyer's Guide this year in partnership with BET. So that will be available on their website for everybody to see. And this year, we did it last year as well, but this year we've added a few new questions for the exhibitors. And one, I'm just going to read a few of them out. One's about how how long do you support us with the implementation? I think that's okay in terms of achieving impact. Often the Achilles heel of many ed tech projects in, in terms of why they, they can fail. And I think be honest about your your CPD calendar as well. You know, if it's already set or it's very tight, then uh, be upfront about that. Say to the, the supplier, we've barely got any time here. How, how are you going to support us? What other forms? Is it is it on-demand training? Are there open deep dives? You know, how... What does it look like when we start working with you? Another one is what's your sustainability strategy? So every school is required to develop a sustainability action plan by 2025. So ask the suppliers about that. <laughs> I might catch one or two out, but very seriously, you know, ask them, you know, what's the lifespan of the devices? What's the replaceable parts? The, the, these are important things. I think the underserved students uh, is, is always a factor here. And I, I've, I get a bit frustrated, the lack of focus on SEN or EAL even. So asking around 
around those sorts of questions. What can we expect? What, how inclusive is your product? Um, you know, we're a school with high number of free school meals, num- number of students on EAL. So I want to know exactly how you're going to help those, that demographic. And then it'd be a bit of a miss to not mention data responsibility. Big one uh, in the news almost every week. There's another school that's been breached. How does your product meet cybersecurity standards? What reassurance can you give me? Prove to me. Show me evidence that you are compliant with the latest, well, GDPR would be a start. Um, but, but show me how and why. You know, we do a BPIA on you. What's going to come up? How do you manage our data? Does it get sold? Hopefully the answer is no. Yeah, there's so, there's so much to interrogate here. We've gone pretty heavy on that in the buyer's guide, I have to say. So, yeah, I would say don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to follow up. I think for the exhibitors, don't be afraid if you don't know the answer. Just tell them that you'll follow up. And please, as a school, don't make any decisions until you have the answers. Very wise. Very wise indeed, Michael. Thank you. And we will put a link in the, the pod connection to your buyer's guide so that when people um, see the podcast, they'll, they'll get a link to that buyer's guide because that sounds like that's full of really important advice. And I hope that people who've been listening to this pod will now feel far better equipped. You need a plan. You need to be looking to solve the problem that you have. You need to challenge the people who are telling you about their products and services. And if you're one of those people who are exhibiting at bets. As Dina said, look beyond the badge, see the person in front of you, try and understand their needs, their challenges, the problems they're trying to solve and speak to them about their individual circumstances. Because we know that what works when it comes to technology is highly contextualized. And so if you don't understand the person standing in front of you, how on earth can you really answer the questions that they might be asking you? I'm going to come around one final time. Is there something that you don't think we've covered today that you would just want to make sure that people understand? And it doesn't matter who, what type of stakeholder you want to address. Any of them will do. But if there's one thing you think we haven't covered in the pod today, this is your opportunity to bring it up. So I am going to come to you, Michael, first. Let's start talking about failure. So, so much positivity about what's going well, but what's not going well. Let's try really hard to share the failures. I was really fortunate to be at an event last week and it was about building test beds globally. And one person who was there said, my husband builds bridges. And when the bridge falls down, the all of that gets shared so that the next person building that bridge doesn't build a bridge that falls down. And you know, we don't really have that, I find, in ed tech, where we, we share what didn't work because there's a nervousness uh, from the ed tech vendors. It's just not in their DNA. I don't think no one's forcing them. So, But if we can start to do that, then I think a lot, yeah, nervousness, nervousness from investment too. So I think that would be a positive culture shift that I would like to see. And it actually will build more trust, believe it or not. If you're the company that does do that and hold their hands up and say, look, this didn't work. And now we've built a better version. It's only going to go well. I couldn't agree with you more. And I don't think it's just ed tech companies who need to embrace failure. We all learn far more from failure than we do from success. And yet it's hard to share failure. 
So I think that's a brilliant point. Definitely, we should be more open to understanding from failure. You're absolutely spot on, Michael. Dina, is the one final point you'd really like to make sure people leave the pod with? I guess it sort of leads on from that, really, about sort of, you know, the, the, the reality, warts and all. I think just the key thing, don't be blinded by the lights at bet. It can be fantastic and really inspirational, but just, don't, you know, don't believe the hype, question the hype and have, have a good look and don't, don't be blinded by the lights. And, you know, it can be overwhelming. So take a break as well and take some water with you. Good practical tip that takes some water with you. I couldn't agree more. Mutlu, your final top tip for people to take away. Interestingly, it is quite actually well aligned with what um, uh, others have been saying. I would say that let's be critical. I think for long years, we have been taking it for granted that technology does indeed improve learning, does indeed enhance learning, does indeed support teachers, does indeed decrease the workload, does indeed improve learning outcomes. Whereas I think we should start thinking about this as let's see the evidence first, let's be more critical initially, and then be more optimistic rather than taking it for granted. If anything, this discussion, I guess, uh, once again reminded me how complex the the concept of evidence and effectiveness of technologies are. Um, we started from talking about uh, evidence in terms of improving learning outcomes, but all these contextual questions that Dina put forward, Mike was talking about the the support regarding uh, a professional development. Um, the technical support, the school contextual factors. It is a very complex ecosystem. Um, and there are so many variables that might influence the extent to which a technology works. Let's be critical. Let's see the evidence. If we see the evidence, then we can be more optimistic. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, all of you, for those insights. I think our listeners will get an enormous amount from this pod. Yes, we must embrace failure. I think you're right. We should look beyond the lights. We should be critical and demanding. And we should take water with us. We have it there. And I know that people listening to this pod will now be able to go to bed far better prepared to get most from what is an amazing opportunity. So thank you to my guests on the pod today. It's been lovely to have you here. Thank you to today's sponsor, The Bet Show, which is the global meeting place for the education community, taking place from 29th to 31st of March this year at XL London. This year, the deadline to register for a free ticket for Bet has been extended to the 17th of March, so head on over to uk.betshow.com to claim your free ticket before that deadline. Once again, head on over to uk.betshow.com to claim your free ticket before the 17th of March. If you want more information about our podcast and the series of podcasts that we produce, you can find that at www.theedtechpodcast.com. And to see how Educate is keeping evidence at the heart of EdTech, you can go to www.educateventures.com. You've been listening to the Connecting at Bet series of the EdTech podcast, presented by myself, Professor Rose Luckin, and my great guests today, Mutlu Kukarova. 
Michael Forshaw and Dina Foster. We'll be back with the continuation of our evidence-based EdTech podcast series. And we've got an exciting new series of the EdTech podcast that's going to be looking at AI, which in the days of ChatGPT is a very topical subject for us to be discussing. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've got a great deal from this pod.